to remain standing, uh, uh, you may do so. Either way, if you would uh, take a Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. That's on page 991. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in front of you. Take that and turn to 991. Or 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. You may be seated. Father, we're thankful for your word, for there is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. It's living, it's powerful, it's active. And so our prayer is that you would teach us, show us wonderful things from your law, that in beholding your word, we would be changed by the presence of your Spirit. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've continued now our study in 1 Timothy. Paul introduced already the notion of false teachers and false teaching. And now, this morning in our reading, we're going to begin to zone in and, and maybe catch uh, a glimpse of some of the very nature of the false teaching that these false teachers uh, have promoted. Two things I want us to consider this morning as we look at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. We want to think about the role, the role of the law. And then we want to Consider the role of the gospel. First of all, the role of the law. We're zoning in on the, the, probably what is the, the false teaching that, that Paul is instructing Timothy to deal with there at the church in Ephesus. He says to, to Timothy, now we know, in other words, the two of us know, that we, the, the two of us know that the, that the law is good. And then he qualifies that if one uses it lawfully. Kind of a play on words. It, it, the law is good if one uses it right. If one uses it to, to what it's intended to be used for. The law is not good if it's wrongly used. Put your eyes up on verse 7. We read that last week. We didn't read it this, this morning. But, but it, uh, it, um, it, has, it, it sets us up. Um, where he says, um, uh, certain persons uh, uh, desiring to be teachers of the law. 
without understanding either what they are saying or the things which uh, they make confident assertions. These, these, these certain persons, these self-identified teachers of the law, they don't know what they're talking about, but they sure are confident in what they're saying. They are ignorant and they are arrogant. Other than that, he has no strong opinion about that. They don't know what they are saying and they don't know that they don't know what they are saying. But they call themselves law teachers. And they, however, they use the law unlawfully. Now, before I go further into how they're using it unlawfully, I, I, I got to make sure that we understand this point when Paul says, now we know that the law is good. I want to make sure we know what Paul and Timothy know, that we, that we know that the law is good. What's wrong with the law? Well, absolutely nothing. The law is good. There is nothing intrinsically wrong with the law. Paul would elsewhere in Romans 7, verse 12, say the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the law. The law is a perfect reflection of the holy character of God who has given us his law. It actually comes to us by way of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved men, moved Moses, moved other men to pin the law of God for us. In Romans 7, Paul would also go on to say that he, in his inner man, delights in the law of God. In that sense, it's very analogous to even what the psalmist would say in, in Psalm 119, uh, where he delights uh, uh, in the, the, the law of God. Paul used, rightfully, used the law of God in his teachings. He used it approvingly in his teachings to validate his teachings. He his teachings stood upon the law of God, the, the rightful, the lawful use of the law of God. So Paul has nothing pejorative or bad to say about the law itself. The problem was not the law. The, the problem was not what the law says. Just add as a sidebar. So therefore, we don't need to unhitch uh, the Old Testament from our Bibles as though we're embarrassed. Like, oh, I can't believe it said that. Oh. The problem is not the law. The problem was how these guys who called themselves law teachers, uh, how they used or taught the law. They were practitioners of an unlawful use of the law. So that begs the question, well, what were these 
false teachers doing wrong with the law. And I think the first part of verse 9 can give us a couple of categories to, 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 to grasp their wrong use of the law and thus to lead us to understand a right use of the law. In verse 9, um, he says, um, uh, uh, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. It's not for the just. It's one category, one group of people. But it's for this group over here. The, the, and he uses two words to, de, to describe them. They're, they're lawless and they're disobedient. They ignore the law and they rebel against the law. But the just don't do that. So two groups, the just and the lawless and disobedient. Sharp contrast in these two groupings of people. As the Bible is in lots of places, this is quite binary here. You're either in one group or you're the other. Clear identity markers. If you're in this group, if you're in the group tagged just, then you're not in this group tagged lawless and disobedient. On the other hand, if you're in this group labeled lawless and disobedient, you're not at the same time over here in this group, the just. And what Paul is saying is that the law is actually designed to serve an important purpose in one group and not the other. The law does not apply to the just in the same way that it applies to the lawless and disobedient. So a really important point of clarification is, so who's that first group? Because they don't need the law in the same way that the other group needs it. Who, the law is not needed. Uh, the primary function of the law is not for this group, the, the just. Who are the just? Well, Paul would explain this to us in so many other places that we're going to borrow from what he says elsewhere. He just he just mentions the term here, the law is not for the just. Well, what does Paul say elsewhere about who that group is? Who are the just? A, a just or a righteous person, same word, righteous or just, a just or righteous person is one who has been declared righteous or just through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul teaches us in Romans 3, 
verses 23, 24, and 25. In other words, this is Paul unpacking for us what he just labels here. He's explaining it to us in Romans 3, 23 to 25. He says there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, boom, there's our word, justified by grace as a gift. So, being just is something that a person receives as a gracious gift, but he goes on, by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, being just or righteous is a gift that comes to us through Jesus, whom God put forward, speaking of this Jesus, still back in Romans 3, whom God put forward as a propitiation, meaning the one who would absorb the, the wrath of God. We've sang about that gloriously a couple times already this morning. The one who would receive the wrath of God in our place so that we would be recipients of the mercy of God, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So the just are those who by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are declared righteous before God and are brought into a right relationship with God. So the just are those who are declared righteous. The just are those who are in a right relationship with God. And that is by grace through faith in Jesus and not by works of the law. So he would say in Romans 3, a couple of verses prior to that, I just read 23 through 25, but he would say in 3.20, for by works of the law, no, no, no human beings will be justified in his sight. How many will be justified in his sight by works of the law? Zero. Zilch. Nada. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And then he says this. This is huge. This is huge. This is a game breaker. So what's the role of the law? How do we lawfully use the law? He says in Romans 3.20, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He's just alluded to the right use of the lawful use of the law. The, the, the primary usefulness uh, and lawfulness of the law is here's what it's intended to do. It's intended to hold up a reflection of God's holy, perfect character and is to show us that we ain't that. And in so doing, it's to show us that we each and every one of us Stand condemned before a holy God because we have not measured up to the holy standard of God's will, of God's law. It, it, the law, when rightfully used, is, is, is designed to show us our 
proper condemnation. It's designed to evoke human guilt. Now what we mean by that then, when the law does its work, then we're in a good place. Because we can then see how the gospel does its work. But let me parse this out a little bit more here. The law, in other words, is actually, its primary usage is actually designed to lead us to Christ by showing us our need for Christ. If you and I could look at the law and say, <laughs> what's so hard about that? Got it. I got this. Jesus, just stay where you're at. I got this. Then the law has not completed its effective work. The law has not if you would, broken us down yet. It, it could mean that we have a superficial view of the law. It, it, could, it could be that we just, we think that we're morally all this and all of that. And, and, and then until we, until we see what Jesus does with the law, uh, when he, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he takes the law and he shows, it, uh, shows us its, its, its truest intent, and that is it, it's, it's not just a behavioral thing, but it's a heart thing. That, 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 that the, whole, uh, the, the ultimate fruition of the condemning effect of the law is it shows us um, how internally bankrupt we are uh, because, the, because Jesus takes the law and puts it to its fullest expression. Now, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. To which we say, my, is there anybody as righteous as me? Never killed anybody yet. Thought about it a lot. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. But, but if you're angry in your heart towards your brother, then you don't understand it perhaps, but you're, 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 a, you're guilty as though you're a murderer. Because what Jesus does is he shows us that the, that the law is, is, is in, and the revelation of the law is, is meant to be internalized and intensified. The law shows us the righteous demands of God, but it, but it, but it shows us the righteous demands of God. It's not given as the means by which we would achieve such righteousness on our own, by our own efforts. I do it myself. Now, what Paul would say in Galatians 3, a right understanding of the law, a right use of the law. He says, now it is evident in, in Galatians 3.11 uh, that no one will be justified before God by the law. So how many will be justified before God by the law? No one. Zero. Zilch. Nada. 
And yet these law teachers, that's what they were doing. Uh, they didn't know what they were talking about. They, had, they were unlawfully using the law. They said, now see here, all you got to do is do this, and uh, you'll achieve a merit star before God. Uh, you'll pull yourself by your own moral bootstraps. Uh, no, what Paul says is that it, now it is evident that no one will be justified before God by works of the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. A right relationship with God. Being righteous, being just before God comes through trusting Jesus, not by trusting our own selves and our own self-effort law-keeping. There'll be at least, least, at least two kinds of people in hell. Those who don't care what God's law says and rebel against it, and those who think they could win God's favor by their own self-effort law-keeping. Paul would go on to say in Galatians 3, 24, so then the law was a guardian. The law was a protector. Even the notion of like a schoolmaster, a tutor, if you would. The law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. You see, the law shows us the righteous, the perfect, the flawless demands of God to convict us and to condemn us. And this, 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 this feeling and knowing and acknowledging and recognizing our conviction and our condemnation before the bar of God's justice, this becomes the context, the backdrop in which we can understand and appreciate who Christ is. And what he has done. Law is meant to verify. The law is meant to impact us with the reality that there is none who are righteous. No, not one. And that's bad news, but it's a necessary bad news. It's the bad news that we are condemned lawbreakers. But that knowledge is a means to a sweeter end. It's, it's a necessary prerequisite to seeing the sweetness of its conclusion. But the bad news that we are condemned lawbreakers is, 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 is to find its conclusion in the sweet last word, the good news that Christ died for sinners. Now, but in saying Christ died for sinners, really what I'm saying is that if, if you're here this morning, and you are not a sinner, you don't need Jesus. 
oh, yes, you do need Jesus. But first of all, you need to grasp a greater re, uh, prerequisite reality. You need to grasp that, in fact, it is true after all. You are a sinner. And that's okay, because this is covered. You didn't cover it. I didn't cover it. No human being covered it, but the God-man covered it. He's the atoning sacrifice for sinners. He, Christ, died for sinners. And if you're a sinner, run to Jesus. On the other hand, I, I realize, I mean, this is, you know, this is kind of rough group this morning. Uh, some, of you, some of you may be here, and, and you're not in the category of you don't see yourself as sinner. You see yourself as too great of a sinner. Christ, Christ it wouldn't die for someone like me. Oh, yes, he would! Paul would, it, it, not getting into next week, I don't want to steal somebody else's thunder, but, but, but Paul would say, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. You can't outdo Paul when it comes to sin. Well, maybe some of you can. I mean, I just, you know, I, yeah. and of course there's me, you know, but um, don't, res- don't disrespect Jesus by thinking that you are a greater sinner than what his blood can cover. Run to Jesus. All who flee to Jesus escape the wrath to come. Yeah. And see, that's what the law is primarily designed to get us to conclude. It's like you, you look at the law and its truest implications, you say, I'm in trouble. Yes, you're in trouble. Yes, we are in trouble. But yes, someone has rescued us from our troubles. And it's not just any ordinary someone. It is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Only those who have faith in Jesus are justified before God, declared righteous in his, in his sight, who therefore escape the wrath to come because Christ has been poor put under our wrath in our place. So it's that group, that group, the just, that the law is not the primary focus of our lives. It's primarily here, this group over here, the one tagged and labeled uh, the lawless and disobedient. What the law still needs to do in their life is to help them to feel the law's condemning effect. So, as I kind of like transition from the role of the law to the role of the gospel... I, I do that by just asking the question, so what do the lawless and the disobedient need? 
Well, they, 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 need, they need the law. They need the, the bad news of the law's condemning declaration over them, but yet quickly followed up once they understand the point of the law. Uh, they, they need the good news of Christ's saving work. Now, one of the things I want to do just briefly, I, I won't have time to touch on this, but, but there's a whole string of words there in the second part of verse 9 and bleeding over into verse 10. Uh, let, me, let me pick that up again and reread that. Uh, it says, um, um, uh, For the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. Now, now what follows next is a string of words and phrases. So I would suggest to you that uh, that string of words corresponds either by a one-word uh, description or by a short phrase description that, that these words that follow correspond to at least nine out of the ten commandments. Designed to prick the conscience of the lawless and disobedient. The ungodly. First commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. An ungodly person is someone who does not know and recognize the one true Lord God. He's ungodly. Sinners. It's the second word in this, this list. Sinners, I think, correspond to the second commandment. You shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not make a false image of a god. Or it's the third word corresponds to the third command. Uh, for, the, uh, or, uh, for the unholy, you shall not take the name of the Lord's the, the, the name of the Lord in vain. You should not treat the name of the Lord in an unholy manner uh, or profane. The fourth word there in verse 9 corresponds to the fourth commandment. You shall not profane the Sabbath. You should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then, and then we see the, um, the, the next string of, uh, of five more words or phrases that correspond to the next five of the Ten Commandments. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, we shall honor our father and mother. Or he says to, or murderers, you shall not murder. Uh, or the, and he uses a couple of phrases here. Or the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. No adultery, that corresponds to, the, to that word of the Ten Commandments. Uh, in other words, I, I, I just back up and say, you know, th those people who would like to tell us that, that the Bible, somewhere over that old part, crusty, uh, like antiquated Old Testament section condemns homosexuality, but we who are enlightened, uh, we know better. Well, it's not just the Old Testament, is it? Any, any variation, however, uh, of one man, one woman for life is, a, is, is an application of of the command, or in, in, in slavers, which uh, really the notion is a man stealer there, and so that uh, no, corresponds to the command of no stealing, uh, or liars and perjurers, which corresponds to the command of no false witnesses. 
These things are still valid. These things are still the standard of God. And these are still things that the law of God needs to be applied to our souls to show us our, can, our guilt and our condemnation to drive us to Jesus. And then so interesting, this is so intriguing. Now here's clearly where we're stepping out of the role of the law and we transition into the role of the gospel. He concludes that with, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I would suggest to you what he has joined together here is, as, he's, as he's transitioned into this saving beauty that is found in the person and work of Christ. Now for those who belong to Jesus, the, 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 the lawfulness of the law is not irrelevant to our lives. However, the primary focus of the Christian life is not the law, but the gospel. Jesus is the primary focus of the Christian life. But that does not render the law unuseful. And it certainly doesn't mean that we can be lawless in our lifestyle after we've come to Jesus for forgiveness it just means that our relationship to the law has changed now that we believe in the gospel now that we are joined to Jesus through faith by grace we are no longer under the condemnation of the law in Christ Jesus, which is the primary use of the law to show us our condemnation, to drive us to, to Jesus. Paul would say in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no, how much? I think I heard someone say some. I don't know. I didn't hear much of anything. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ, our status before God has changed. In Christ, we are no longer in that category of condemned sinners standing for a holy judge. No, in Christ... We are now pardoned, well-loved children of God. But not only has our status changed, we're justified. That's a status change. But in Christ Jesus, our nature has changed. Our desires has changed. Our inclinations have changed. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Now, A new 
way of living and loving does not qualify us to benefit from the gospel. That would be in the category of the unlawful use of the law. But catch me, this is huge. While a new way of living and loving does not qualify us to benefit from the gospel, the gospel, when it is received by faith uh, and, and joins us to Jesus, qualifies us to have a new way of living and loving. It's the gospel, not the law. It's the gospel that accounts for this change. We are a different people. And as it turns out, we are a people who begin to be a lawful people. Why? Well, Romans 8 tells us some more. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have been set free from the law's primary function to condemn us, and we have been set free now for the very first time to truly and genuinely be lawful kind of people. For God has done, Romans 8 tells us, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that in order that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit we now live in the realm of the spirit that enables us that prompts us that energizes us that motivates us to want to be lawful people not that such lawfulness merit us or earn us a relationship with God, but having received as a free gift a relationship with God floods our hearts with the Spirit, and now we want to live differently. The Spirit's work involves taking those declared righteous and now making us righteous in our actual way of living. A little bit at a time, but over time, we begin to look more like Jesus. When God, the Spirit of God sanctifies us. That is, it, he begins the process of changing us so that we become lawful people. And without that change, there, there is no evidence that we have a right relationship with God. Because those whom God justifies, he also sanctifies. Or I'll close with this. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And of such were some of you. But that was used to, wasn't it? That status change brought about a new process of making change. 
And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The law condemns. Jesus rescues and makes new. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the work of the Spirit. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that as we saw our condemnation by considering your holy law, you drove us to Jesus that we might experience pardon and new life. Oh, Father, may each of us know these realities through Jesus this morning. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.